You are listening to the Permission to Burn Your Manual podcast. I am your host, Kathy Whaley, MD, physician and life coach. Do you want to live the life you choose? A life that is by design rather than by default? Well, that path to the life you choose is uniquely yours, and it's filled with limitless potential. So join me and burn your manual. This book that defines our expectations of self, but also holds us back. Together, we will forge, innovate, and refine as we go along. Hello, hello, my friends. I am coming to you from Snotty Central, so I apologize in advance for any sniffly, sneezy, congesty feelings. I hope you all have had an amazing weekend. And we're going to go ahead and launch into the topic for today, which is doubt and overwhelm and making it through a crisis. Now, I started planning this episode right after the shootings in Texas, where all of the children passed. I see that we are experiencing crisis on a regular basis and really have forever. But I think in particular, the concentration for which we've been focusing on over the last two years is particularly high. So doubt and overwhelm is a protective strategy that our brain takes in order to keep us safe. But much of that time, it actually keeps us stuck because it keeps us from moving forward. We don't take any actions. So when we're stuck in that place of, I don't know, I'm not sure, we really become victims. We sort of victimize ourselves because we're saying, I haven't figured it out. The path isn't clear. Therefore, I must sit here and wait, right? It's sort of the ultimate pray about it moment. So how do you know if you're stuck in that doubt and overwhelm? It's very clear. You're not making progress. If you are thinking about a crisis and you are stuck spinning on a hamster wheel and you're just going in circles, chasing your tail... That is how you know that you are indulging in doubt and overwhelm to an extent that it is not helping you. It's actually hurting you. So I'm going to talk about how much we focus on crisis, right? Because in reality, crises are happening every day. Crises and tragedy are happening every day all over our world. And so... In the coaching world, they say all circumstances are just facts and therefore they're neutral. So they're, quote, out of your control. And here's what they mean by that. The point is, is that if on the other side of the world there's been this mass casualty event and you don't know about it yet, you don't just all of a sudden have this acute sadness when it happens you have no idea it's happened. The acute sadness comes from when you're made aware of it. And so you find out about the tragedy and then you have thoughts about the tragedy that create a feeling of sadness. So 
in theory, in the coaching world, something like the COVID-19 pandemic would be considered a fact and neutral. And I absolutely get that. But if we dove into the COVID-19 pandemic and looked at the circumstances that were created out of it, I would say that there were very negative consequences to my work-life balance. And so I chose negative thoughts because it was appropriate for the situation. So don't mistake, coaching is not all about gaming your brain and only creating happy thoughts. It's about being very aware and clean about the thoughts and making sure that your mindset is getting you to the result you want. So I'm going to give you an example in regard to the pandemic of where my thinking was towards the beginning of it and then how it transformed through coaching. So for the first year of the pandemic, I was basically on call 24 seven. Um, I had just had the flu, like confirmed flu. And this was before you could not, you know, we didn't really even have tests in Arkansas yet to check COVID. So I mean, I don't have any evidence of whether I had both at the same time, but I was dog sick and I still worked during that time from home administratively. And then I was exhausted for like three or four months after that. And I was needing to sleep a lot, but because the pandemic was happening, I couldn't sleep a lot. I was being called at all hours of the night. I was working extremely long hours. I was working every single day, whether I was supposed to be or not, it doesn't matter. It was a crisis and we didn't have systems set in place for the crisis yet. So I very clearly remember having the thought, this place owns me. Like this place is consuming my life. It owns me. I have nothing left. And that made me feel so hopeless. That thought that this place owns me, it, it created this sense that I had no control over my life. I was absolutely in this victim role. And so what I did out of that hopelessness, I literally cried every day, every day on my way to work, every day on my way home, periodically in my office. Did I let other people see that? No. And I perseverated on the lack of control that I perceived, you know, was missing. I thought about it all the time. If I wasn't working, I was sitting at home, perseverating about how that place owned me and I had no control. And so the consequence of this whole series was that when I was at home, I wasn't the version of myself that I wanted to be. And really, I wasn't the version of myself that I wanted to be at work either. But what you gonna do? So the consequence truly was, I let that place own all of my time. Because even when I was supposed to be having family time, I was sitting there thinking about that place and how it was sucking my lifeblood away. So it's really interesting how times of crises really teach us so much about our thinking and how we compartmentalize, right? Because you sort of do what you have to do to get through it, but it, the circumstance wasn't the issue. It was really my thinking about it. I don't mean the circumstance wasn't a problem. But I'm just saying my thinking is what was causing my distress. 
And I also kept thinking about the pandemic from a standpoint of this just shouldn't have happened. And remember, I told you back towards the very beginning, if you're using the words shouldn't or should, you are operating from a manual. So I'm determined there's a manual for basically everything (laughs) in our lives. And it's just a matter of ferreting it out and burning it. So I absolutely went through this point of this should not be reality. And that wasn't me being in denial. That was me being in disbelief. Not unlike when people experience death of a loved one. They're not really in denial. I have yet to see anybody really truly be in denial unless they have a psychotic illness. But most of the time they're just in a state of disbelief because in an instant their life changed and their brain has not caught up, right? The brain mapping of who's in your life on a regular basis has not caught up. So circling back, how do you really know this shouldn't have happened? I mean, if everything were awesome all the time, like that Lego movie song, would you actually know it was awesome? I mean, in order to know that something's negative, you have to understand the positive. So it's not a realistic expectation that the yin and yang of crises and non-crises disappears. Another issue for me during the COVID pandemic was that I had this pre-traumatic stress. It was almost a psychological conditioning of fear based on anticipated events. And so I have long been a person who prepared for the worst but hoped for the best. And I did that because I assumed that I would save myself distress if I just pre-planned and assumed that everything were going to go wrong and had a contingency plan. And then if it turned out much better, I would just be pleasantly surprised. But here's the problem with that. When you're always planning for the worst, hoping for the best, and living in that anticipation of what could go wrong, you basically are living in the rabbit hole. And you expend a tremendous amount of mental energy. And the mental energy that you're spending could be used for something else. I mean, it could be used for good. But instead, we're anticipating what might happen And if you recall from my discussion about the thoughts that we have, the vast majority of our thoughts that are negative don't come to fruition in the severity that we anticipate. The vast majority of them, if they even happen, happen at much less severity. So, I mean, this is just energy I'd rather harness for good than waste my time worrying. So why don't we live in that place all the time? Because again, bad shit's happening every day, somewhere in the world. We have an idea of a manual. It shouldn't have happened. We focus on the bad stuff that's happening. But why don't we end up in the same place of psychological conditioning of fear, overwhelm, doubt, anxiety, like we do when something like a school shooting happens 
or the COVID pandemic? What is the difference? And the difference is whether you go to that overwhelm place and therefore a victim and no action, or whether you go to a place that helps you feel empowered and therefore stimulates you into action. So if you are experiencing a crisis or have experienced a crisis where you have felt overwhelm and doubt and you're sort of stuck in the rut, we are going to reverse engineer our way out of this rut. So as using the school shooting, for example, what is the result that you want for yourself? What is the result that you want to achieve? I think for a lot of people, the result would be gun control, better gun control, so that somebody cannot walk up and buy a gun in real time the day that they go and shoot up and murder a bunch of people. So if that's the result that you want, what are the actions that you need to take to participate in that change? So let's say that we decide it's writing our Congress people, we're going to march, we're going to lobby, we are going to form intervention groups. I mean, it's all about being an activist. So if you want to take those actions towards that result, how do you need to feel? Because I can tell you, those actions and that result are not coming from overwhelm and doubt. It's not going to happen. Overwhelm and doubt is going to keep you stuck in your rut. So let's pretend that the feeling needed is empowerment. Or empowered. And when we go back another step and we think, what are thoughts that we could have that would create a feeling of empowerment and therefore stimulate these activist actions and the result we want. And I can't tell you what that thought is for you. I can make some suggestions just so that you see. You could be thinking, my voice matters. You could be thinking, I am exactly the right person to influence change. The point here is when we tell ourselves, yeah, it doesn't matter if I do anything, it's not going to work anyways, those are thoughts that undermine our actions, right? If I'm sitting here thinking my voice isn't going to change anything, so I'm not going to waste my time, I'm not going to feel empowered and I'm surely not going to take these actions. Now. No criticism. That may be what you're choosing to think. That may be what works for you. But if you're sitting there stuck and you'd actually prefer to take action, take a look at your thinking because your thinking is what's going to drive your actions ultimately. So if you're feeling empowered and you think one of those thoughts, you're well on your way to getting out of the rut and moving forward in some sort of meaningful way. But the bottom line about crises is simply this. They are happening all around us all the time. 
but we don't live in the dumps all the time. Like we're not sitting there suffering all day, every day, crying to and from work and experiencing that pre-traumatic stress. That's, that's not typical of crises. But yet when something happens that gets a lot of publicity and news, then we go down that rabbit hole. So just notice that the difference between a crisis such as COVID-19 and the other ones is COVID-19 is the one you know about and it's the one that you can focus on. So the possibility is always there to refine your focus and control how much attention something gets in your brain. Am I implying that it's easy? No, not at all. Because that sort of thought change requires creating very good habits and practice. But if you want to do it, it is as simple as creating the habit, as being all in on creating the habit. And when you can acknowledge the crisis, but not go to that psychological conditioning of fear and the doubt and the overwhelm that sort of tortures you without actually producing a result that you would like, when you can manage your mind that way, oh my gosh, it's so powerful. What you can create in your world around you is amazing. Imagine what your potential could be if you could create habits that help you navigate a crisis and leave some of the trauma behind. As a healthcare worker, we experience excessive stress every day as a part of our job. And it's very well proven that people who experience excessive stress on a regular basis have prolonged elevation of stress hormones. So if I'm going home after my day, my stress hormones are not normal, right? I am jazzed up. I am on sort of the edge of everything. I'm sort of snippy and, oh God, so many things. Now, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm really working on offering myself some habits that help me normalize my stress hormones more than without. But it really does take awareness of the fact that as a healthcare professional, you are going to experience prolonged stress, which in itself is traumatic, and your stress hormones are going to be elevated. And so this is the potential in managing your mind, especially when crises come, because you are not operating from the same baseline as everybody else when it comes to your stress hormones. Interestingly, science shows that when your stress hormones or physiologic response to anger happens, the stimulus that actually keeps it up has sort of run its cycle in about 90 seconds. But the issue is, is that we keep thinking or experiencing and having an input that basically starts the cycle all over again. And so even though it's 90 seconds, it's like 90 seconds for infinity. You're just living there. 
learning all of this in my coaching journey and in my personal development journey has actually been really helpful. I noticed, and it became sort of a interesting discussion point in my marriage, that my movie tastes really changed through training. Because my husband and I met my first year of medical school. And I sort of watched the whole gambit of movies. And if you were to compare that to now, I don't want to watch thrillers. I really just sort of want feel-good things. And it's not because I don't find those things interesting. It's really that I cannot handle the level of stress that comes for me in those movies. And then I finally realized, well, it's because I'm going into these movies with a stress level and a stress hormone level that is higher than baseline. And then I watch a movie that gives me an acute stimulus of stress. And I mean, my stress level and anxiety just goes off the charts. So now that I've sort of realized that, I'm able to be more mindful about experiences I have and and various things. Awareness is part of the key, right? Awareness, being willing to say no to something because you realize that it's better self-care to say no. So I don't try to hang in there and watch the movies that he wants to watch. He just goes and watches them by himself. And it's not because I don't love him. It's because my act of self-care is not worsening my stress level any more than it has to. So here is where I ended up in the example of my thinking. So I told you that I had been thinking this place owns me and I was wasting all of my mental energy thinking about it and living in this psychological conditioning of fear and a lot of anticipatory anxiety about how many people are going to die all that good stuff where I ended up was really awareness that no I actually have power here right at any given time I could have just chosen not to answer my phone or not worked there, frankly. I mean, I could have just walked away. I could have quit at any point. My power to choose was a lag and well. And I could choose wisely. Which meant that I could reestablish boundaries that I sort of let fall apart at the beginning of the pandemic. It was going to be okay. I was not the only leader in the hospital that could deal with whatever fallout or crises was coming that day. I realized that all I could do was show up every day and do what I could do to serve patients and staff in the capacity that I could and then go home and spend my energy at home trying to nurture myself and bring my stress hormones down. So, my final question to you. Are you using the power to choose wisely? That's all I have today for you, my friends. I am going to have a guest coming up over the next couple of podcasts, and I'm really excited about that. As always, if you 
enjoy the podcast, find them meaningful. It would really help show this podcast to others who might benefit if you would subscribe or leave a review or engage in the podcast in some way. Again, game in the algorithm time. If you need me for anything, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, I'm right here rooting for you and I will do the same next week. Have a great week. Are you ready to start making progress, forging the path to the life you choose? Well, visit me at freedomforphysicians.com. Here you will find free resources and guides for any healthcare professional ready to get started. As always, I'd love to hear from you, so don't hesitate to reach out.